throw whatever you want on you know, little Christmas decorations. If you want to put some, you know, Christmas ornaments on there. Or... My sister's birthday is Christmas Eve, so we put candles on it every year. <laughs> I'm speaking with Maggie Regacious. Like, oh my gracious. And she's a baker. We're discussing a sweet and eye-catching Christmas tradition, one that I first learned about in my high school French class from Mr. Lavelle, or pardonnez-moi, Monsieur Lavelle. Around Christmas time, we'd start saying things like Joyeux Noël, and the day before school was let out for Christmas break, we would celebrate with a fête de Noël, with a little sparkling grape juice and a festive-looking cake made up to look like a Yule log, La Bouche de Noël. It's a favorite tradition, and also a very new one. One whose true beginnings date back centuries, but wasn't ready to be born until several forces came together at about the same time, including urbanization, industrialization, changing economies, and a dash of nostalgia. Like the dessert itself, this tradition is made up of many layers. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. To understand the Bouche de Noël, the dessert, first you have to know what a Yule log is. And to understand that, you need to know what Yule itself is. So let's start there. But the trouble is that we don't really know for sure what Yule is or was. We know that it was a Scandinavian wintertime tradition. The word Yule may translate to wheel in reference to the cycle of the seasons. And that would be one argument in favor of it being a winter solstice celebration the kind celebrated in other places to mark the lengthening of the days and the coming return of the crops. The only problem with that is that the astronomical knowledge of the people who observed Yule was pretty spotty. It may not have been possible to predict the solstice as accurately as could the Romans, for example, who marked it with the annual festival of Saturnalia. The word could also translate simply as feast, and in the winter months in that part of the world, people would slaughter their cows because there was no grain to feed them. So people would feast on meat and drink wine. And it does seem that Yule was more of a time of year rather than a single celebration, with some evidence suggesting it lasted from mid-November to mid-January. Whatever its origins, we do know that it was brought to England and Scotland by the Danish in the 9th and 10th centuries. By the 11th century, it had been rolled in with Christian traditions and eventually became synonymous with Christmastide, the 12-day period from December 25th to January 5th, and the origin of the well-known 12 Days of Christmas. By the 12th century, people in Germany had begun the practice of burning a Yule log at Christmas. This was usually a huge log, and oftentimes it was an entire tree trunk that would stick out into the room as one end of it burned in the fireplace. This tradition quickly spread through Europe and found its way to England and Scotland by the 17th century. In all cultures that observed the tradition, finding a Yule log and bringing it home was a celebration in itself. People would decorate the logs with bows, and children would ride on the log as the adults pulled it through the snow. Every culture came up with its own spin. Like in Newfoundland in the 19th century, it was customary for the man of the house to go outside and fire a gun into the air once the Yule log had been set in the fireplace. In Montenegro, a piece of bread and a sprinkling of wine were placed on the log prior to putting it into the fireplace. I feel like Yule and Yule logs could be full episodes in their own right. Maybe I'll come back to them in a future season of the show. The point I'm trying to make here is that the Yule log was a pretty big deal. 
This was before anyone had Christmas trees. That custom wouldn't get started for a few hundred years yet. And though the Yule log never quite made it big in America, it's still a very common tradition in Europe, including France, where it's known as the Bouche de Noël. And in France, like many of its neighboring countries, it's traditional to stay up after midnight on Christmas Eve and have an enormous feast called Le Réveillon, which translates to The Wakening in reference to staying up into the wee hours. These feasts would include seven meatless dishes, 13 kinds of bread roll, and at least 13 types of dessert. And around the 19th century in France, more people were moving away from the countryside and toward the city of Paris. And with that migration, many of those rustic family traditions got a cosmopolitan facelift. Main dishes, and especially desserts, became extravagant affairs. Also in the late 19th century in Paris, sugar had become a cheap and widely available commodity, which it hadn't been throughout most of history. It's hard for us to imagine what a big deal this must have been at the time. Most of us pass a dozen pastry shops on the way to work every day. But in the 19th century in Paris, pastry shops, and even the idea of sweet baked goods as an everyday luxury, was totally new. And Parisian pastry chefs embraced their newfound good fortune vigorously. Pastry shops would compete by placing lavish creations in their window displays. And it wasn't long before one creative pâtissier realized that many Parisians felt nostalgic for the rustic tradition of the Bouche de Noël. Parisian apartments didn't have fireplaces large enough for a Yule log after all, and besides, who'd want to drag them up a flight of stairs? So why not give them the next best thing? An eye-catching and tasty dessert that resembled the Bouche de Noël. The basic idea is a rolled-up sponge cake filled with buttercream frosting and decorated to look like a real log. And it would be an understatement to say that the Bouche de Noël caught on quickly. Within 20 years, it became basically an essential Christmas dessert. I've never made one myself, but I want to give it a try this year. So I asked Maggie Regatius like, oh my gracious. for some tips. You're going to make a sponge cake, and so you're going to need a jelly roll pan or a sheet pan because you're going to roll it up. And you bake it, and when you pull it out of the oven, the first thing you want to do is flip it out of the pan onto a towel that has powder sugar on it. Um, and then so that way it'll keep the cake from sticking. And then while it's still warm, you roll it up in the towel. It'll keep it from cracking when you actually unroll it and re-roll it to fill it. Um, once it's cooled in the towel, uh, you can fill it with just about anything. You can spread um, buttercream. You can uh, use whipped cream. You can use ice, softened ice cream. You can use your favorite jam. Uh, you roll it up, um, making sure your seam is on the bottom. You put it on a plate. And you cover it in your favorite buttercream or icing. I, I like to use chocolate ganache because it's nice and dark and it looks like more like a log. Just, you know, run a, the tines of a fork through it and give it some texture. And then it's just all about the decorating at that point. Now, Maggie was kind enough to share her own recipe with me, and I'm going to share it with you. So check out the show notes for this episode at christmaspasspodcast.com. It's true that most of the Christmas traditions we observe here in America come to us from England and Europe. But of course, Christmas is celebrated all around the world, with many festive traditions unique to the culture that created them. And if you're lucky enough to live in a part of America that's rich in the heritage of one of those places, your Christmases may have been merry and bright in a way all their own. Like Javier, who grew up in Florida. 
When I think of Christmas, I don't think about smoldering logs in a fireplace or crisp air cooling down my lungs. I remember the warm nights and the salty breeze blowing on my face, the citrusy smell of the roasting pork, the vibrations of the salsa music playing at my grandparents' house. I would spend most of the night looking up, hoping to see Santa sleigh through the palm tree leaves in the clear Miami night sky. Occasionally, I'd look down to see the people dancing, eating, and laughing. We called this party Noche Buena. Noche Buena wasn't like the Christmas Eve dinners I watched on TV. My Cuban-American family didn't quietly gather around the dinner table. Oh no. Noche Buena was a celebration too big to contain indoors. Everyone was invited, and we all had a great time. The greatest memory of all happened way before anyone arrived. 10 hours prior to the event, to be exact. Early in the morning, I would wake up and help my grandfather season the whole hog and prep the fire pit, which Cubans call la caja china, or the Chinese box. My grandfather and I wouldn't talk much during the preparations. It was all business. Fire up the coals, carry the pig to la caja china, baste it with orange juice and garlic. There was a lot to do. But it's these moments that I will cherish with me for as long as I can hold on to it. These days, we don't celebrate Noche Buena like we used to. A few years ago, my grandfather roasted his last pig. You see, he, he suffers from dementia, and it's gotten so bad that he can no longer do a lot of the things that he used to do. Instead of Noche Buena this year, all I want is for him to recognize me, and maybe I can tell him about all the great memories he's given me. Maybe I can tell him that my brother and I plan to continue the tradition. Javier is the host of Pretend Radio, a podcast telling true stories about imposters. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. So how about you? Where did you grow up and how did you celebrate Christmas there? Did you have any traditions unique to that area or to your family? Well, I'd love to hear about them and I'm sure everyone else would too. So record a voice memo on your phone and send it to christmaspasspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to share it on an upcoming episode. Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks very much to Maggie Regatius. Like, oh my gracious. And Javier Leva. Follow along by searching for Christmas Past Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And find more information about the show, including that recipe for the Bouche de Noel, at christmaspastpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes. It helps me out a lot, and it lets me know what you're thinking. Thanks very much for listening, and I will see you next time.